0: Hi, and welcome to the First Baptist Church Victoria podcast. Today's sermon was preached live on Sunday, May 28th, 2023, by Pastor Ben Rosenberger. During the service, there were some technical difficulties towards the end of the sermon, but fortunately, our production team was able to recover some of the lost audio. All right, church, it's good to see you today. We started the book of Malachi last time, and I let you know that I was marinating on a point for two weeks, that I really wanted it to hit home for two weeks. This is one of those, to me, sermons that if I had one thing to preach, in fact, I got approached by uh, a ministry that runs out of the South uh, uh, Salvation Army and I work out with a guy that's a friend that leads it and he asked me to go preach there and I was like thinking this week I genuinely feel like this would be a sermon that one of those kind of sermons that I'd want to preach to anywhere God would put me for them to understand something about God. And there is something that you need to understand about God and means there's something you need to understand about you and your relationship with God. Malachi begins it this way, and I said it in my last sermon, so I'm going to repeat my second part of the same sermon. Do you not know that you are favored? Do you not know that you are favored? And what does that mean? So with that said, if you want to turn open to Malachi with me, we'll revisit the same verses we looked at last week, but my key this week is I will rehash a little bit of last week, but we're going to focus on Ezekiel 16. I'm going to ask you to do something. It is 63 verses. I cannot cover all of Ezekiel 16 this week. So your homework is to go home, read Ezekiel 16 in its entirety, and understand the depths of that chapter. One of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, in my view. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, says this the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. If there's one thing you need to know, Israel, if there's one thing you need to know, Church of Jesus Christ, I have loved you. And as I said last time, I'll say it again. I have loved you. I love you. I will always love you. What more do I need to show to you that I love you? what he's saying I'm okay with being loud you get it because so many of you think he doesn't love me my circumstances in life tell me God doesn't love me and God says I love you so Israel looks back and says how have you loved us and then Jesus or God sorry God says is not Esau Jacob's brother declares the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Beyond the border of Israel. Again, an epic imagery for the rest of the world. And the end of Abraham talks about all nations flowing through Jesus. So that being said, last time we basically took that text and did some historical history on it. I mentioned to you, what is the people's view of this situation here? Where God says, I love you, and they say, how have you loved us? They're thinking of Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, Zechariah. If you want a breakdown of Malachi, I did that last week. This week I'm going into Ezekiel 16. But the prophetic hopes were in some of these many prophetic books. And their prophetic prophecies, such as the New Jerusalem or the Messiah... They didn't happen yet, and in their mind, you've promised these things, and they haven't happened. And the people say, all we see is corruption, injustice, and poverty. That's what we're experiencing, God. Where is your love? That's what they're saying. I'm just telling you that's what they're saying. And they haven't seen yet the Messiah come. We know that comes through John the Baptist and Jesus. That's meant for 400, 600, 500 years later. Somewhere along that lines, hundreds of years later, these things happen. The new Jerusalem doesn't happen yet. The new earth hasn't happened yet. They're not understanding, but they are saying, God, these promises, they're expecting the promises that are for later to happen right then. And so they're angry because, God, you haven't delivered, is their mindset. I'm just telling you their mindset. But God's main issue is this. The lessons that should have been learned from the exiled were not learned. The exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's heart is as hard as ever. If you read the book of Jeremiah, if you read the book of Lamentations, it is quite grim i mean it's probably the most grim books in all of the bible that a prophet had to go through and live through and yet god in that time and in that grimness said you will come out of this and they did here comes ezra here comes nehemiah they rebuilt the temple they rebuilt their walls they had what they did not have through all of jeremiah through all of lamentations at the worst of the worst and yet god rebuilt them again and even in the middle of that rebuild As they just had it, that next generation said, where are you, God? No different than the hearts of those who were going through the worst of it. No different than the ones who had it even greater and yet rebelled against God and they had punishment coming. That's why all these prophets kept saying, repent, repent, or things are coming. And they're like, no, (laughs) we're not going to repent, God. So it comes. They go through it. They go through punishment. All things prophesied. All these prophets spell it out for them. And then all of a sudden, they get out of it. And God once again keeps his prophecies, you will be rebuilt. They're rebuilt again, and right away, nothing's changed. God says nothing has changed. We need to learn something real, real, real bad. It doesn't matter about your prosperity. Your prosperity does not determine whether you're going to be righteous or not at all. In fact, prosperity usually means you're not going to follow God. You're going to be a complainer. You got it too good, you can't do nothing but complain. Because you've never learned what Paul teaches us. I've been low, I've been high. I've had riches, I've had poverty. And I've learned to be content. Contentment is a thing of God in your heart. See, Israel is a shining example. It didn't matter what. It didn't matter where they were. They were constantly yelling at God. And God's trying to remind them of the epic story of his favor and his love. So, Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. The first dispute is what we just read in verses 1 through 5. God says, I love you, and as I just said to you, it's almost as if God is saying, I have loved you, I do love you, I have always loved you. And Israel's exclaiming, how have you loved us? And God's response is to point out Esau versus Jacob. So what is this all about? It's about God's favored people being discouraged discouraged and disappointed in what they thought uh, were unfulfilled promises and what I mentioned last week is what I'll mention today is they had developed a low regard for God because of what they felt they should have they don't have they developed a low regard for God and his love means nothing you tell me you love me but I don't see your love so it means nothing that's where Israel was that's the truth And I have to acknowledge some of us find ourselves there. Circumstances dictate whether we believe God loves us or not. And we find ourselves there versus seeing what God has done for us. You can know theological truth that Jesus Christ died on that cross, paid your penalty, allowed for his blood to become your atonement. He can tell you that. He could have lived it and done it, securing your eternity before God Almighty for heaven, for eternity. He can tell you that. He can demonstrate it. And we could still say you haven't loved us enough. Yet at the same time, acknowledge if someone stepped in front of me and took a bullet and they died, they gave their life to protect me, how foolish would it be for me to say that person didn't love me? They gave their life for me. But that's where we tend to be because we haven't learned to accept what God has done for us and we live by circumstances versus living by truth and who God is and what he's done. And that's why for me, this next two this last last week and this week, if you miss these sermons, there's something wrong in your heart with God and you. Because you are favored. He loves you. And if you don't accept that, if you don't believe that, I don't know what else I can do. I can do a handstand and stand there for 30 minutes, but if you don't get what God has done for you, I can't help you. Ezekiel 16 helps us with that. Furthermore, they're favored people doubting God's love and faithfulness, which is the same of accusing God of lack of love and faithfulness. There is no love. There is no faithfulness is what they're saying. And God's main point is this. God asks Israel to find assurance in his election, his choice of them for evidence of God's favoring love. The whole story of Esau and Jacob is about God saying, out of nowhere I chose you. And now we spent a lot of time last week looking at the history of this, Genesis 25 through 27. Again, that's last week's sermon. The story of God choosing Jacob's family to carry out his covenantal promise, but not Esau's family. We looked at Romans 8, verses 16 through, uh, 6 through 13, where Paul addresses this is, again, this is an exact historical event in the New Testament, connecting it with Jesus. Paul essentially, with a different take, says, That God says to Israel through Malachi in the book's first claim to Israel by God. Let's take a look at a couple verses, just a few verses 11 and 12 and verse 16. It says, Though they were not yet born, they had done nothing either good or bad. What is he talking about? Esau, Jacob, twins, in the mama's womb. God comes to her and says, Listen, it's not going to be the older, it's going to be the younger. Because tradition says it should be the older, but I'm God, and I'm going to choose the younger. He's getting, the, he's getting all the blessing, because that's what God does. I tried to say that last week. God just does it that way. You expect this? I'm God. I don't want you to ever look at me and say, look what I've done. Uh-uh, I've done it. That's what God, he he, rewrites, he writes the whole story of the Bible and constantly picks the person or the thing that doesn't make sense. Because he wants to say, I did it. God flexes. Amen. You want Saul? David. We could go down the line. It's nothing you've done. It's because of God. And that's what we're trying to establish today. He says, though they were not born, they had not done nothing, nothing either good nor bad. Joseph does not get any credit. He wasn't even born yet, and God already told his mom, it's going to be him. Not Esau. All tradition says Esau. I say, not Esau. It's going to be Jacob. So, I done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Don't take credit when God deserves the credit, but sit back. And understand, you are favored. You understand what I'm trying to do here today? Understand that that story is part of your story. This is the story of God. For God's people, you, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are part of that story. And part of that story is Esau, I did not choose. Jacob, I did. Why? Neither good nor bad. No reason. I just picked Jacob. You are favored, Israel. That's what Malachi is saying. You are favored. I love you. Your destiny is not Esau's. Your lineage is not Esau's. Your line is written into the story of the Messiah. All nations, all people, all tongues, all tribes. Amen? I I need you to understand that. Circumstances are going to come. Circumstances are going to go. God's love and his favor never changes. He just favors you. He loves you. Let that rest. So, that's what we looked at last week. Both Jacob and Esau are flawed biblical figures. This story highlights that God's grace is not based on our goodness, it's on His mercy. That's what the gospel's all about. It's God's mercy. So, that being said, there is no greater text. We're going to look at two texts. Most of our time will be on Ezekiel 16 and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 12. All right, Ezekiel 16, a risky text, 63 verses. i got to be real careful as I read any verse in this chapter. Please go read this chapter on your own. Let me give you a little, just a breakdown on Ezekiel 16. I'm not going to read very many verses, but I'm going to try to read enough to paint the picture. Ezekiel 16 views the... Idolatry depicted in Ezekiel 8 through 15. So it's picking up in 16 based on what he already said in verses chapters 8 through 15. And he's picking up on their adultery. And he says, this is, this is just a long line of your idolatry and your co- covenantal infidelities. That's, that's Israel's history. And he's like, you constantly continue to rebel and go after other gods. You never accept that you are my special elect people. And I, I'm trying to say that to you. Us as well. Why don't we just accept that God made us and He selects us and He's special and He favors us and, and we're supposed to represent Him? And we so badly want to look like our culture. We so badly want to look like everybody else. And God said, I called you from that. You're my people. You're mine. You don't belong to this world. And we got a lot of people like the church is supposed to represent and look like the world. No, we're not. We're not from here. We're not citizens from here. We're aliens from here. That's what Paul says. That's what Peter says. Amen? This is not our home. We are to transform, not conform. Because we've been transformed by God and his word. We are to change people, not become like them. Because we know who we are. They don't know who they are. We know who they are if they are lost. They are following the line of Satan. Satan. They are not children of God, but we are children of God. We know who we are. We know who we represent. Amen? We know our purpose. It is to be distinctly Christian, following God, being children of God. So, to strike at the heart of Israel's false confidence in her election, Ezekiel portrays Jerusalem to him. And basically, he's essentially pointing out Jerusalem as representing the whole nation. He's saying, I'm talking to you, representing the bigger. And for the nation, as an orphan child whom God saves from certain deaths. So chapter 16 picks up on this child that's basically thrown out to die. It's graphic. It's very graphic. It's as if that baby was born, didn't even cut the cord, nothing. Thrown out for dead. The, The obvious implications is you were dead. No hope. Nothing but birds coming and pecking out your eyes, and you be dead. That's what God says about Israel. Who are you, Israel? Let me tell you who you are, Israel. Apart from me, apart from my favor, what I'm contending for the last two weeks, you would be thrown out like a dead baby, not even washed, no birthrights, no one's excited about you, no one wants you. You're nobody, thrown out to be pecked dead by birds. That's who you were, Israel. I'm not saying this is nice, I'm simply saying it's a very graphic imagery. And God is saying, that's who you were. But for God. Got me? That's what it says. Read Ezekiel 16, the whole thing. Later, left for certain death, later, I am God. He ends up coming and he marries her, adorns his bride and and makes her his queen. But his wife used her fame because of I am to... hmm, So many words I could use. To cheat, let's just say cheat, herself in the lewd, lustful pros- promiscuity of pagan fertility cults. This image portrays the introduction of a pagan hierarchy system that replaced Israel's originally with a just system with social injustice that favors the rich and the poor. We see this in chapter 16 and 23 of Ezekiel. These injustices, which even include the killing of children, seal Jerusalem's doom. This chapter is a horrible depiction of unfaithfulness between Israel and her husband, God. Furthermore, it could be taken as lewd, obscene, risque, violent, and so many other depiction words I could use. This text is for sure graphically gory picture, yet at the same time a beautiful picture of God's marriage to Israel. That's the point of this chapter, is to point out the truth about your, up, your, up, your upbringing, how you got here, and, and who's the main player in this whole thing? God and his love, despite our unfaithfulness. Amen? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you, as we start talking about this chapter, I want you to think about yourself. It's a lot easier to talk about Israel. It's a lot easier to look at Israel and be like, look at their unfaithfulness. Look how dumb they are. Look how dumb, 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 dumb they are. And to think that we're not any, anything like them. How many times have we felt how many times have we mistake, made a mistake? How many times has someone had to forgive us for our wrongdoing? I mean, there's some little wrongdoing and there's some major wrongdoing. How many times has someone had to forgive us? How many times has God had to forgive you for our wrongdoing? Our constant betrayal. How many times have we got on our knees and said, God, I'm not gonna do it again. Forgive me, Forgive me. 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 I'm, so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then we don't actually change. And yet God Loves us. He still pursues us. He still says, I want to do a work in your heart. I want to do a work in your life. And I don't know what end of that conversation you're on. But this is the story of God's love with God's people. It's not as if we just got saved and we became perfect as it will be in heaven. No, 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 no. <laughs> we followed Him. We knew the truth. And then we stumbled along the way and we stumbled along the way and still found the strength of God's grace to continue. Amen? How many of us, if we were honest, if we were honest for the first time in a church, (laughs) if we were honest, we would say, I have messed up so many times. I won't tell anybody about it. But my loved one knows. Some other people that have gotten real close to me know. I've made mistakes. I've needed God's grace. That's the story of Ezekiel 16. So, Verses 3 through 5, here's how the story starts. God's marriage to Israel. and says, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origins, your birth, are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on that day you were born, cut, your cord was not cut, you, uh, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wash, wrapped in swaddling clothes, No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on an open field for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. That's what God says about Israel. What do we just read? He basically points out their parentage, where they came from. The Amorites and the Hittites joins together, two of the pagan peoples, inhabiting Canaan in pre-Israel's time. He says, you were no different than them. You came from them. Right? You're no different than them. What is special about Israel? Blood-wise, you are part of them. What's different? What makes you different, Israel, is God said, I chose you. Out from amongst all the others, I chose you, Israel. I picked you. Abraham, follow me. I will make a nation of you. And you will follow me. You will be my people. You will represent me. I'm going to insert myself in human history, and I'm going to make you the chosen people. Is that not the story? So he's pointing that out. You're no different than them. You were born of them. You're the same blood of them. You're no different, he says. Outside of God's special separateness, we are no different than the pagan people is what God's point is. uh, Jerusalem is depicted as a virtually aborted baby placenta and all just thrown into a field in a bloody heap, cast out, unwanted birth, and left for dead. Notice how verse 4 through 5 depicts their utter unwantedness. No one welcoming, no one cared. That's what God's saying. Listen, this I told you this was graphic, but it's beautiful and graphic, and it's true. Verses 6 through 9, and then he says this. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Right? I saw you wallowing in your blood, and I said, live. That's what God says. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your Breasts were formed. Your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Verse 8, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. Again, this is all depiction, story. Jerusalem is meant to depict all of God's people, and he's saying this is the story. Of me coming and picking you and favoring you, selecting you out from all other people, and just choosing to bless you, choosing to covenant with you, choosing to make a name out of you. That's the story. So, what do we just read? We saw a beautiful picture of what might be one of the greatest depictions of what happened and happens as Jesus married the church. She casts out, she's bloody, she's dirty, she's as good as dead. Folks, that's like Ephesians 2 talking. That's us. Cast out, dirty, as good as dead. No chance apart from God. But God, amen? The son of God walks by and he says, at last I found her, I found her, my beloved, my wife. Can you imagine? God saying, life, fetus, live. Then he walks away and he comes back. When she's ripe for love, she's beautiful, she's well-formed. She's ready for love, and at a marriageable age, thus he marries her and he washes her and he covenants with her, never to turn away from doing her good. What's the point of the story? He's saying, I covenant with you. I promise to never, ever abandon you because I love you. Isn't that what this is saying? I mean, obviously, this isn't God marrying some child, and he's depicting, he's describing where I found you, and what I did for you. And of course, the story doesn't, Ezekiel gets harder, but I want to do this. I want you not to miss this point. I feel like the last two weeks, and I feel like this is a moment that everyone in here needs to grasp. As I said when I began my sermon, if you don't get this point, I don't know what I have any business of doing anything else. If you can't understand this about God and his love for you. This is a picture of God's, and I want you to understand this. Utterly free and undeserved mercy. Free and undeserved mercy. This is about mercy that God shows. Not what we've done, not what we deserve, what God just chose to do. He chose to give us mercy. This was how Israel was chosen. That's how you were brought from death to life, from darkness to light, and from unbelief to faith as believers. Because God rests in these words as he says, live, I made you flourish, I made my vow to you, entered into a covenant with you, you became mine, I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you, anointed you with oil. All Ezekiel's terminology to say what I've done for you, Israel. And it's what God has done for you as the church. Amen? So as this, I just want this moment. I've asked Justin to come up. I don't know where he is. He's probably, Oh, he's already here. I, wanna, I wanted him to sing a song about God's love. And I want to break up the, the, before we get into the negative of Israel, I want this to be a moment for all of us. And I want us to remember this moment. If you don't know that God loves you, if you don't know that God has just favored you, Nothing you've done to deserve it. If you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit has entered into you, if you are not a Christian, I am not speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to those who, without a doubt, know that you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit has moved in you. You might have the Holy Spirit moving you today and become a Christian, but I'm talking to those who know they're a Christian. I want you to never doubt God's free and undeserved mercy that he just chose to bestow upon you. For every life circumstance that tells you God doesn't love me, He doesn't care about me, I want you to take that thought and beat it down with a stick and say, "That's not my story. My story is nothing I've ever done deserved this grace and mercy." Just like Esau and Jacob, nothing Jacob did deserved it. Nothing Esau did deserved not having mercy. God just chose to give mercy to Jacob instead of focusing on everybody else. Are you a Christian? I want you to focus on the fact that you received God's love and mercy. And I want that to be so true that you take it as an identity thing. What did I do to deserve nothing? God just loves me. Could you marvel in that today? What else could I preach on? If you don't get this, there's nothing I can do. You need to understand God's mercy. Just like Israel, as God depicts it right here. In Ezekiel 16, you don't deserve this, but I've done this because I love you. And please hear me with Malachi in mind. I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. Not because of what you did, not because of what you're going to do, because I just favored you. Just accept that grace of God, accept that mercy of God. And if you've already heard a Christian, all the more rejoice in that truth. You just love me, God. If that's not something to worship to, I don't know what we're doing as a church. Let's worship for a second, and we'll come back and end Ezekiel. But today I just want to have this moment with you.
1: with a kiss My heart had turned violently inside my chest And I don't have time to maintain these secrets when I think about the way that
0: And earrings in an your ear, ears, and a beautiful crown on your head, that you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was as fine linen and silk, and a border of clothes.
1: You ate fine flour and
0: honey and oil, and you're exceedingly beautiful against the royalty. And you were now naked forth among all the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. After the covenant, God begins bestowing amazing beauty. And, gifts. and with such royalty, verse 14 tells us that Jerusalem's renown and beauty were entirely of his making. That which God had bestowed. That everyone looked at Israel and said, you are this great, amazing nation. And God says, yeah, I, I did that. I did that. Then what? Verse 15 through twenty thirty four turns. Then, I'm going to look at two verses. But you trusted in your beauty and played the word I can't say, because of your renown and lavish cheer, again, a word I cannot say, on any cast or by you. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made yourself colorful shrines. And on them, again, a the word I cannot say, they like, the light that never been, nor, nor ever should be. So, essentially, he said, after all this I've done for you, then you go and do this. Oh, you say this is an on? I didn't even need this. Could y'all still hear me? Okay, this is just, uh, whatever, I don't even need it. That proves something there. (laughs) Verse 15 through 16 is what we see here. It says, uh, essentially, all these negative things, he's pointing out that they essentially, they've abandoned God, whatever God did for them, they they didn't trust, they kept being this way, and and that's what we see. And I love this amazing thing at the very end. So I'm going to take you to the very end of Ezekiel, this is how this book ends, verses 59 through 63. So it's a lot of verses of the wrongdoing, the wrongdoing, the wrongdoing. And then it says this at the very end. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. Uh, as you, have done. you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you. In the days of your youth, I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, but but your elder and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you will remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. What is the point of that? The final point here. The end of the story is that God, after giving up his faithless wife into the hands of her brutal lovers, will not only take her back and not only make her with her a new and everlasting covenant, but will himself pay for all her sins. Did you notice that word atone? I've let you go, I've let you do your thing. And I'm still going to bring you back. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to establish a tonal covenant. I'm keeping my covenant with you. And I'm even going to pay for what you've done. I will pay for what you've done. That is God's unmerited mercy on you, church. Not Israel only. On you, church. On you. That's God's love for you. So can you say to me, God doesn't love you? When God says, I love you, do you look back at him and say, how have you loved me, God? He says, I've eternally made a covenant with you forever. I've paid your penalty. I have loved you. I do love you. I've always loved you. And I'm always sitting right here to take you back and have a great relationship with you, despite what you do. Because I just love you. It's not that God has not loved us well enough. It's that we choose other things. That's the story of mankind. We choose other things other than God that leave us empty, never give us joy. And God offers, he offers us life, joy, real fulfillment that this world tries to fill. That Listen, some idols, they feel good for a little bit, but they drain your joy. They leave you looking for more. And God says, I am the everlasting life. I am the life that I came to give you life now, to sustain you. But you have to choose to let me in. You have to choose to walk with me. Even as a Christian walking with him for years, you have to choose not to be bitter. You have to choose to forgive. You have to choose to have joy. You have to choose to be happy versus always looking at all the negative. You have to choose to be content, church. You have to choose to walk in contentment and joy. You have to choose to find peace. You have to choose to find reconciliation. You have to choose to be the church. And you will find a joy that only God can do. But you never will be able to doubt if you understand Scripture that God doesn't love you. God loves you. Israel didn't get it. They didn't even get the story. We hadn't seen it. God said, it's coming. It's just not yet. They didn't get it. And very often, we don't get it. But what I want to establish for these last two days, these last two Sundays, God loves you. If you know God's word, there's no way for you to say, God, you don't love me. What have you done for me, God? He's done everything. You are not a Christian apart from God's unmerited favor and mercy that he chose to love you and show himself to you. In fact, the greatest passage for this I could point to would be 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 12. As the band comes up, I won't have time to read all of this, verses 1 through 12, but I want you to know this. That verse 3 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I could read and read further. My point to you is this. There are people who are blinded. They don't see God. I could sit here and say and scream, get on my head and tell you God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and nothing's going to happen. And then there's some people that hear about God's love and immediately they're like, yes, I want that love. I want Jesus. I want God. I want to enter into a covenant. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with my Savior. What's the difference? God did a work in this one. This one he didn't. I can't make that happen. But if you are a Christian, that's who I'm speaking to. If you are a Christian, God is done a work in your life. And there's some people who are blinded. They can't see. I'm not here to explain that other than I just know I see. I know him. God is in my life. If any of you came up to me and said, Ben, you're not a Christian, I would laugh at you and walk away. The most true thing about me is I'm a son and daughter of God more than anything else. I know God got a hold of me. He wrecked my heart. Help me see him. I see very clearly who God is in his grace. Very clearly that. I don't see a lot of things clearly, but I see that very clearly. And I hope that's you. Because there's some who are dead and dying and they don't know, I have a clue. They mock Christianity and they're just on, on their way to hell. And I don't know, I can pray for them. I can pray that God does a work in them. But when I see them, I'm reminded. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you that you woke my heart up to help me see you. Thank you that you did a work in me. Because I don't know why. I walked with people that came from the same youth group as me. And some of them are as far from God as possible. They're atheists. They hate God. They want to go tell everybody how why not to be a Christian. And we grew up under the same teaching. What's the difference? I don't know. Because I'm polar opposite. And I don't want to take credit. Because I look at the story of the Bible and I see Esau and Jacob and I think there's nothing good nor bad. God just favored. And God, thank you for your favor. That's where I find my position. Thank you for your mercy. I don't deserve this. I don't know why or what, but thank you. Thank you. And church, as I close, I want to say that one last thing. I have loved you, says the Lord. I hope you believe that. Because as Ezekiel 36, 26 will say, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. God will do it. And I'm here to testify. God has done it. And I know that as God is talking to Israel, I say, God, I know you love me. I know you've loved me and you've favored me. I don't know where you find yourself. I can't change a lot of circumstances in your life. I can't change a lot of diagnoses in your life. But I can introduce you to a God that loves you. He absolutely loves you. And if you are a believer in Christ, He loves you. He's always loved you. And folks, he will always love you. And he has shown himself to be a faithful lover. As we see in Ezekiel 16, even when we're unfaithful, he is faithful. He's the Alpha Omega. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. I went a little long, but I don't apologize because this was a good sermon. Let's let's, let's, go, let's go to prayer. You're here. You can respond however you need to respond. But man, I love talking about God's love for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word teaches us That even when we fail you, God, you are faithful to us. Even when we abandon you or even when we reject you or even when we uh, do things like get mad at you or walk away from you, you still love us. Why do you love Israel? Why? That's the question. It has to be why. And it's just because you chose to, Lord. You chose to love us. God, you love us. Help us in our times of despair, our times of circumstances that are challenging To be reminded that you love us. Even when we don't feel love, even when we feel like nobody loves us, nobody cares. Why do I even exist? There's nothing good in me. There's no reason for me to continue on. God, you tell us the opposite of all those things. That you love us. Not because of anything we did. You just love us and you favor us. Help us to embrace our identity as sons and daughters of God. To know that you love us and you've called us out from a world that's far from you to represent you. Help us to take pride in who we are. We love you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to sing praises to you. You're certainly deserving of it. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church Victoria podcast. Please feel free to check us out at fbcvictoria.org. There you can learn more about us, watch our archive sermons, or get a link to watch our sermons live Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. Again, that's fbcvictoria.org.